Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Horror versus Reality. I'm Anna, as per usual, and with me, as usual, is Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Anna. Hi. <laughs> it's been one week since you looked at me. Um, <laughs> it's been longer than that. Crazy. Something, something, something. Fun fact, the lead singer of that band lives about 20 minutes from me. Holy shit. My teen girl heart is pumping really hard. For the bare naked ladies. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Canadian gold right there. Oh. Oh, oh. oh yeah. All right. So <clears throat> let's get into it. Today's episode is about an episode of a sitcom and not a horror movie. What? Yeah, what? that's that's what's happening. Um, you read that correctly. We are doing season three, episode one of Atlanta, which is a comedy about an up and coming rapper and his manager, Earn, played by uh, Donald Glover. Now, here's the thing on surface level, when you hear that, you think, oh, all right, that could be funny, I guess. But you wouldn't think that it's deeply surreal. And you definitely wouldn't guess that it has whole episodes that are basically mini horror movies that have nothing to do or very little to do with the rest of the series. It's a show really like nothing else I've ever seen on television in the best way possible. So, Morgan, have you seen any other episodes besides this one? No, and I really want to start watching it. I've always, like, had that on my list of things to watch, and I just, I never click it. And I feel so bad because Donald Glover is a freaking genius. Yeah, he's fantastic. I was going to say I have a big old lady boner for Lakeith Stanfield, who plays, who plays Darius. Like, I just always go back to community like that's my you know like you have those um shows that you go back to and they make you feel good um, oh you mean like american dad <laughs> yeah okay mine has become community oh, like okay i've watched i mean besides the seasons that uh dan Harmon didn't direct but uh or wrote <laughs> i i love community and okay. he is brilliant yeah absolutely um i never really got that into uh community actually I've seen I've seen a few episodes here and there, and I and like it. It lo- seems like if I gave it a shot, I could probably get into it enough. But I don't know. Like at this stage, I don't really watch new sitcoms very often. Like well, I just not watch. You. No, really I know. No, like new oh. to me. You, like, oh yeah. Like I mostly just I mostly just watch new to me dramas. 
and horror movies. <laughs> as, as we all know, that's my life. I occasionally watch a drama or two, like we're we're uh, knee deep in Westworld season four now. Oh God, I I liked that show, and then I was like, this is just too much. I can't keep up. You can't oh. like drink and watch that show and pay attention. Mark would beg the differ. <laughs> I am just like, what? This is ridiculous. I watched the first two seasons, and then when it got to the third season, I was just like, oh, I need to rewatch the first and second because none of this I remember. And then I oh, just never did. See, okay, so leading up to season three, uh, which came out in 2020 when Mark and I first started dating, we watched the first two seasons, rewatched them together, and then we watched season three over Skype during quarantine. <laughs> Oh, it's cute. It's dedication. And now we're watching. Yeah. So now we're watching it as it's released together for the first time. (laughs) That's cute. Yeah. It's fun. It's our Sunday night. You can just go in separate rooms and be like, does this remind you of when we first started dating? (laughs) Please. What am I going to (laughs) do? Sit on my phone in the kitchen? No. In the toilet. The toilet? (laughs) God. No. No. I'm not going to sit on the toilet and do that. That's weird. <laughs> anyway, back to back to what I was saying. So Atlanta is a lot more to meet. There's a lot more to it than meets the eye than uh, what you would expect just by if you saw, I guess, a preview for it or just like read what it was about. It's so much more than that. There's a lot of like satire. It's just good stuff. It's really good stuff. Yeah. So this episode is called Three Slaps. And it is versus the Hart family murder-suicides. Which is a big old bummer of a case, as yeah. Morgan knows uh, quite well. Because she's the one been doing the research. I mean, I researched it all too, but she's the one who actually like wrote it down. And, she's... <laughs> <laughs> and but, watched yeah. and listened. And... Yeah. It's God. Yeah. Just child crimes. Yeah, you know, I went down a 3 a.m. rabbit hole reading all these Facebook posts from the mom that was active on social media. And uh, uh, she makes she makes her life. She's a master at social media. She makes her life look so perfect when it's it's just so wild. Yeah. And the way like she presents herself as being like, you know, social. It's completely not. Yeah, it's bizarre. Social media. Yeah. Like that barrier she put up was just the computer screen. So behind the scenes was just awful. But like on the computer, she had all these relationships and stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah, she had a lot of people. That. Yeah, she had a lot of people, com- like you know, completely duped in person too. Like friends that had met them yeah. in fe- fe- at festivals and stuff. Were like, you would never imagine that anything was wrong. Only people who lived next door to them <laughs> really had any fucking clue. Yeah, because I mean, barely anyone ever went over to their houses. Well, yeah, the kids weren't. The kids like didn't have friends. But we'll get into yeah, that when didn't. it's your side. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this episode is directed by director. Hero Marai or Marai Marai Marai. <laughs> it's M U R A I, and it is a Japanese uh, last name. I'm doing my best here, okay? <laughs> yeah, I can't help you with that. <laughs> anyway, um, Hero is a Japanese-born American filmmaker known for directing music videos for artists such as Childish Gambino, aka Donald Glover, uh, Flying Lotus, Saint Vincent, The Shins, The Fray, Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, among others. He is also known for directing every single
Marvel episode of Atlanta, as well as episodes for the HBO miniseries Station Eleven. Amazing miniseries, by the way. I think I've talked about it before, but it's totally a must-watch. Um, he's also directed episodes of Barry and the new FX series The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White of Shameless U.S. fame. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So he's got so, a good reputation. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's a great director. He really is. Um, Donald Glover. Uh, I don't really feel like I need to explain him that much, but I'm sure that not everyone knows who he is. <laughs> but I know you do, Morgan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But so Donald Glover is an actor, producer, rapper, comedian, director. What can this man do? <laughs> Genius, poet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatevs. So he got a start in the biz as a writer for the Tina Fey sitcom 30 Rock when he was just 23. That's pretty dope. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He first rose to prominence with his acting role as Troy Barnes on the NBC sitcom Community, as Morgan mentioned earlier. And he's also well known for his rap career as Childish Gambino. He's got some bangers, I won't lie. And he's well known for producing, writing, and, uh, you know, creating this show, Atlanta. Now, uh, Christopher Farrar as Laquarius, he's the main character in this little short film, if you will. Uh, he is an up-and-coming child actor known for small roles on shows like Home Team, Chicago Med, Call Me Cat, and Young Sheldon. Basically, his role in this episode is the coolest thing that he's done so far. Burn, Young Sheldon. <laughs> and Chicago Med. Anyway. Um, Jamie Newman as Gail. Newman is actor, writer, musician, director uh, f- from New Orleans. Nola bitches. Uh, Um, (laughs) She was the original drummer for shoegaze band Desert Stars. On TV, she is known for playing Del slash Hillary on HBO's Lovecraft Country, Dorothy Spina on HBO's The Deuce, Tiffany Jones on AMC's Nosferatu, that's NOS 482, that is the adaptation of the Joe Hill novel. The first season was great. Well, I thought it was anyway. Mark thought it was going down in quality by the end of it <laughs> and the second episode the second season really goes off the rails so it is what it is but it was a decent show for like a season she also starred as brianna barry gelden on netflix's jessica jones so laura dreyfus as amber dreyfus is an american actress known for playing mcafee westbrook on netflix's the politician and for playing madison mccarthy on fox's musical tv show glee she has also had a small role on marvelous mrs Maisel as dc for two episodes then we have nicole lockley lockley nicole lockley as mom well, um, she's good. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> As his mom. Um, Lockley's known for playing Ayana Gray on Apple TV's The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray. She's also, uh, she also starred as Dion in the web series Choosing Chastity. So I had never heard of this show, so I had to look it up. But it was just like a show that came on its own, like literal, as far as I can tell, it just came, it aired and came and existed on its own website. So That's I don't know weird. who, yeah, I don't know who watched it. <laughs> But it was about this woman who I think, from what I read, I think she was a matchmaker and for her own weird reasons decided to abstain from sex while she's also like dealing with the fact that she's also like an adult and has hormones. I don't know. It, I, it, didn't, it didn't sound entertaining to me. 
I kind of got the feeling that it was like made for horny Christian stay-at-home moms with during <laughs> during wine time. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's what yeah, it sounds like. They're like choosing to be celibate. She is. She's choosing to be celibate while she's also like setting other people up to find love. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't that know. It sounds it, it sounded It sounded bad. Yeah. Uh, no disrespect to the actress. I'm sure she was great in the role she had on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, she also had small roles in HBO Max's Rap Shit and Netflix's Pieces of Her. Opposite of Tony Glett. Um, so so, Timothy Tinker Sr. as Grandpa. Tinker hasn't had many acting roles, with his first ever being in 2016's Single Married Life. He largely has done small roles here and there, but interestingly enough, he has played real-life people in reenactments for the true crime show Snapped and Fatal Attraction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. It was very, very spot-on for our audience. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Lauren Helperin as the guidance counselor. Helperin has been doing guest spots all over television in the last 11 years. She has had small roles on CBS's How I Met Your Mother, Netflix's House of Cards, and The Haunting of Hill House and Stranger Things. More recently, she's had roles on Hulu's Woke, Hulu's Candy, and Disney Plus's Loki. She, I believe on Loki, she was like guest attendant number five or something awful like that. Didn't even give her a real name. Aww. Yeah. All right, so the episode opens with two men, one white, one black, drinking beers and fishing late at night. The two men are just hanging out, shooting the shit, when the black one, literally the character is referred to in the credits only as black. He tells his friends of a he tells his friend of a time where he almost drowned in the lake that they are fishing in when he was a kid. The white fisherman explains that he isn't surprised because the lake is thought to be haunted as the government built it over a self-governing black town. Anyone who didn't leave drowned. As the two sit chatting, waiting for a fish to bite, he explains that whiteness is a state of mind and anyone can be white with enough blood and money. Uh, he specifically references Armenians, most likely an allusion to the Kardashians, who are famously half Armenian and have lots of money, obscene amounts of money. <laughs> Um, the thing about being white, he says, is that it blinds you. It's easy to see the black man as cursed when you've separated yourself from him, but you don't know you're enslaved just like him. And as he's saying this, he's like turned around and you can't see his face. So when he turns back and he's like saying, we're cursed too, his face is like melting and he doesn't have eyes anymore. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and then his buddy, his black buddy, is dragged out of the boat into the water by black hands, presumably, of the haunted sunken town. And then, snap! He's like, what the fuck? Yeah, so, a young boy has just awakened, and this is presumably his dream that he just woke up from. So, he's in class, and he realizes that he's, you know, fallen asleep in class. Uh, so his teacher's talking about that they will be going on a field trip, a field trip that's basically sponsored by the Atlanta Falcons and uh, Dominoes, right? Didn't she just say Dominoes? Yes. Good, because that's how we should have to fund our schools from private corporations. Yeah, I mean, that's literally what they do. It's just sad is what it is. But anyway, <laughs> I have my own grievances with our education system. I know. I, I like, I stopped that for a second. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, I paused it after she said that and rewound it and listened again. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, that's real. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's part for the course. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Exactly. 
so she she tells them that Phil Trip is they're going to see Black Panther two as part of like the Atlanta initiative or something. So then to promote Black History. And Laquarius, that's the little boy, he gets ecstatic. He jumps up on the desk and starts doing dance moves. The dance moves that he's doing, by the way, are like straight out of one of Childish Gambino's music videos. Yeah, it's from This Is America. Yeah, fun fact. And I think the girl that's sitting next to him is one of the dancers in that music video. That's fun. Yeah, Paul's done. She looks exactly like, you know, like when the little kids are following him Mm -hmm. before he shoots the, the church people yeah yeah um i think one of the girls in the background of that is one of the dancers but i'm not sure she looks exactly like one of the girls in the music video big if true big if i true. could not i could not uh <laughs> confirm that though okay well that's fun if it's true that is fun all right so obviously his teacher is like had enough of his shit because it's clear that he does this often so she sends him to the principal's office and uh he is joined by his grandpa and is clearly annoyed had it up to hear mother <laughs> yeah a white guidance counselor suggests that laquarius may perform better in remedial classes and she seems to think that his outbursts stem from the standard class material being too challenging for him his mother shuts down this suggestion immediately my son is not dumb he's an idiot y'all ridiculous he is not the first kid to act up in class and y'all want to push him back some grades don't move my son tell his teachers to give him detention <laughs> like she is not playing. <laughs> yeah, she shuts that whole conversation down and then gets up. I was like, damn. Yeah, you know, snap. <laughs> they leave together down the hall and the guidance counselor follows shortly after. She walks down the hall to find Laquarius's mother making him dance, saying that he has people in the school thinking that he is the R word and that if he doesn't act right, he will end up in special education classes. Then, in a chilling foreshadow, he says to him, or she says to him, my bad, uh, if you don't start using your common sense and acting right, these white people are gonna kill you. Kill you. Then she makes him drop into the work. Yeah. <laughs> she said oh. they're gonna be the only ones laughing when you're in jail. Yeah, and then all the while, the guidance counselor is like feebly trying to intervene and uh, after he finishes the worm, his mother tells him to stop acting out for his white classmates and the grandpa comes up and gives the boy three slaps hence the title left cheek right cheek left cheek slap 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 <laughs> like the way you would imagine they're so tappy they're they're like they're the, the it's, they're okay they are the way i imagine british gentlemen in like the 1700s slapped each other <laughs> yeah it's amazing <laughs> and uh then the guidance counselor walks aquarius back to class and she whispers to him don't worry i'm gonna get you out of there oh boy white savior complex here we go um back at Aquarius's home, he yells to his mom from the kitchen that there is no milk, and she replies that there's spaghetti in the fridge if he's hungry. Aquarius is then seen eating spaghetti at the table while watching American Dad. To be precise, he is watching season 6, episode 14, Cops and Roger, where Roger joins the police academy after being mugged at the mall with Francine. Come on, did you really think I wasn't going to talk about American Dad? <laughs> 
His mom shouts from the other room that he better not be watching TV, and he replies by rolling his eyes and turning it off. Then there is a knock at the door, and unfortunately, it's children's services there for a welfare check, courtesy of the white savior herself, the guidance counselor. They don't get very far into the visit because Aquarius's mom assumes that he has called them, and she tells them to take him. She packs his stuff up for him. Like, the mom has... is is so fucked up. I know. The mom is clearly a graduate of the school of hard knocks and believes in tough love like oh you think i'm bad you go live in a foster home for a few days you'll be back yeah <laughs> that, that's her whole attitude She's like get the fuck out then <laughs> yeah get the fuck I'm out i'm done yeah exactly and uh she doesn't take the situation very seriously at all laquarius is taken to what appears to be a gentrified like hip neighborhood and is greeted by a hippie lady named amber she immediately tells him that he can call her mom ew <laughs> yeah i thought that was really fucking weird ew like i'm sorry but if i'm old enough to remember someone that was my parent before you like even if i even if they were a shitty parent that's my parent your whatever your name is yeah i think it's gonna take him a while to call them or her mom if she at has, all yeah exactly that's like not something you just start doing yeah, I don't think, that's... at least yeah what Ugh, gross okay so then she introduces him to his new brothers and sisters or i guess it's really a brother and two sisters and three other kids um and they are looking on from the upstairs stares at him like almost robotically upon entering he the kitchen he declares that it's stinky <laughs> and then amber ex- amber's like no, no 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 it's not smelly uh it smells that way because we're making african doo-doo soap <laughs> yeah they're like it's kombucha silly and, yeah and we're making kombucha and pickled vegetables to sell the farmer's market that's why it smells like that um it still smells bad have you ever smelled kombucha kombucha it's not a great yeah, smell it smells like feet yeah it's not a good I, smell. Okay, I love kombucha because I guess I'm a little crunchy. Not really. Not not on that level. But it does smell really bad and it smells like feet. And while you're pickling vegetables in an area, that does smell too. It smells like feet. Anything so, like fermented smells like feet to me. So you're making quote unquote African doo-doo soap. <laughs> kombucha and pickled vegetables and you think your house doesn't stink yeah you've gone you've gone nose blind yeah that's definitely nose blind you've gone nose blind you're why do they call it african doo-doo soap i don't know i don't know so fucked up it's for it's fucked up everything these women do is fucked up to be honest yeah it is they're like super racist they're so racist. Oh my God. It's so bad. And it's not even like the racist that she, it's, it's the worst kind of racism because it's racism hidden in plain view. Yeah. And it's racism covered up by a, a white savior complex. Yeah. At least with like an old white man in the South with a Confederate flag hat, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> not like covert or yeah. hidden. Yeah. Like it's, it's out there, you know, you know what's happening. <laughs> All right, so soon he meets his other new mom, Amber's partner, Gail, who says he can call her Gail after he asks if um, he calls them both mom. And Amber at the same time is like, yeah. And she's like, no, call me Gail. It's very, <laughs> it's very awkward. I'm like, ah. And, okay, Amber seems like a ditz, but also like she's high all the time or something yeah she does seem like she's like high on something she she's like 
drink the THC laced Kool Aid, maybe? Cause she yeah. also, you know what I mean? Like the way all the, the, the like hippy dippy woo woo stuff that spouts out of her mouth is like cult nonsense almost. Yeah. She's fucking nuts. <laughs> oh man. All right. He goes to like get acquainted into his home or whatever. He like goes upstairs and she comes to check on him and she's like, oh, actually, before he goes to do that, she asks him if he wants. Uh, she she says she was making fried chicken, and he asks. She asks him if he wants capers or sprouts with his fried chicken, and he makes like a horrified face, as if, uh, what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, to quote the Big Lebowski, "You're out of your element, Donnie." Uh, <laughs> you're out but, of your element, Donnie. Yeah, he's out of his element. Um, Amber is microwaving raw chicken, by the way. That's her fried chicken. God, oh, the scene makes me cringe. Yeah, I was thinking, like, Morgan and I were born and raised in Mississippi. It hurts to see something that grotesque called fried chicken. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking raw. It's raw! Like, you can see... Yeah, you can see the blood still, like, on it, and it still has parts of, like, frozen bits It looks it. like, it looks like she also, like, maybe put unseasoned flour directly on it and then just stuck it in the microwave. Yeah, and, like, choosing capers as a side is just insane. Like, capers are so tiny. Yeah, well, what you when you later see his plate, it's not just capers. It's <laughs> capers and carrots, sorry. No, no, no. It's sad slices of avocado topped. Oh, that's right. It's yeah, it's avocado and capers, which is the most disgusting combination I've ever heard of in my life. Right? Capers are like good as a side with like a cream reduction sauce on top of like a pork chop. Yeah, like chicken ricotta. I mean uh piccata. Yeah. Uh, or like spaghetti and you throw some capers Capers in there. Yeah, but like Mediterranean salad. (laughs) Yeah, but like with avocado as a side? What? And it's like half an avocado. It's not even half. It's like two little sad slices and like (sighs) four or five capers and one leg of sad raw chicken. Yeah, it's a drumstick. It's not even a full leg or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just the drumstick. That's all it is. (laughs) What the fuck? Anyway, so (laughs) (sighs) upstairs, he goes to get settled, like I was saying earlier, and Amber pops in to check in on him. By the way, him and his three siblings all share one room. And the house looks kind of big, right? Like, yeah, there's no way. Yeah, like there's no way that there's not other rooms They've got to just be using those other rooms for something stupid. And they've smushed those kids into one room. I feel like the dog probably has its own room. Oh, my God. And the dog is like <laughs> like a chihuahua size. I don't even know what that creature is. <laughs> it's so it's cute. Like a, it is so cute. But it's like a little, like, hairy little toy twig. It's so tiny. Like, yeah, it's so it's insane. tiny. <laughs> I, do, I don't even know what it is, honestly. <laughs> It's cute, though. The dog's name is Corn Pop. Yeah, Corn Pop. (laughs) So Amber walks over and she's like, hey, I made this for you. And it's an embroidered towel with the name Larry on it. And Laquarius is like, uh, Larry? She's like, oh, I didn't know how to spell Laquarius. So Larry's a good nickname, though. Yeah, she was like, Loquias. She couldn't even say his name. Yeah, it was bad. Like, yeah, it's not that hard. Anyway, 
So it's it's like super awkward. But anyway, he goes back downstairs and they're all at the dinner table. And he stares at this disgusting dinner that we just described to you. And Gail and Amber are laughing about Rihanna's like culturally and are like culturally appropriating Native Americans on social media. Like as she taught, she said something about she said she's spirit with her tribe. Oh no 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 spirit animal that's it. Yeah, she said something about spirit animals, and they were like, "I hope she's indigenous." <laughs> oh, I'm gonna comment. It was like, God, no real people don't talk about social media at the table like that, do they? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, it, like really scares me, but I think they do. That's oh God, that's mm. what happens in my internet life doesn't need to be discussed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> With my lips ever. <laughs> Outside of this podcast, obviously. Oh my God. Anyway. So, so they're like laughing about that. Like it's, you know, <laughs> oh, we're so above Rihanna. <laughs> it's very like mocking and stupid. Then the telephone rings, like the actual phone, not their cell phone, like a landline. Yeah, some so of you, woke. some of you young kids might not even know what a landline is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's, there's, their schools definitely have landlines, but I, I think that, yeah, I, like businesses and stuff. they would know what a landline yeah. is. I would hope. I'm, I'm just making fun of the youngsters. <laughs> they may not be able to read a old timey clock <laughs> or write in cursive. <laughs> I have met a couple of children who did not know how to read a proper clock. And look, I know we have all these electronics and stuff, but like it's horrifying that you couldn't figure out how to read that yeah you need to read a clock yeah yeah i don't like what if civilization breaks down and you guys like they can't read cursive letters from like the 1800s well never mind that what if like they literally don't know how to make a normal clock anymore the whole (laughs) the clock has to be fucking reinvented (laughs) this is a world that we could be living in just just saying (laughs) anyway just kidding I don't want to be a Nostradamus over here. <laughs> You're a genius. You can read <laughs> the ancient clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Tell us what the sun says. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, so the phone rings on the landline and Gail gets up and with with this like weirdly controlled hostile vibe and she like answers the phone and is like, hello, this is she. We're in the middle of dinner. Slam. <sighs> very unsettling and then the phone rings almost immediately after she slams it and she fucking rips it out of the wall <laughs> yeah the fucking rage it's like uh okay <laughs> like what do you even do after something like that i would just stare at her like yeah what i feel the like fuck, a, little, man? a little overkill i'm gonna yeah. go to bed <laughs> yeah that was super super cool gail yeah. So anyway, right after that, Aquarius is like, "This food is nasty." To which Gail just kind of like calmly, that same like weird energy, shakes her head and's like, "You know, there are starving children in Africa. Just ask your brother." And then the camera—it's so fucked that up. Poor kid. 
Yeah, and then the camera pans to his new brother's face, who just kind of nods sadly at him, like, yeah, I'm, I'm from Africa, it was bad. You know, that's, that's the look on his face, and it's like, oh, God, these poor kids. Like, can you imagine st- being going from a starving country or a starving village and then coming and living with these privileged white women that could feed you, but don't really? Ugh, I, I can't <sighs> imagine it. It's like, what the fuck? I just, I don't understand. I don't understand. Anyway, but then Gail's just like, look, if you don't want to eat your food, you can just go to bed. And he's like, um, it's six o'clock. Man, I hate this house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 6 p.m., damn it. Yeah, and then Amber's like, we don't say hate in this house. Which only spurs Aquarius to be like, hate, 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 as he walks up the stairs. <laughs> uh, presumably the next day, we see all the kids working in the family's garden as Amber just kind of sits and watches and, like, it looks like maybe she's putting things in pickle jars. I don't know. Um, she, uh, Gail comes out and informs her that they can no longer get things on credit from Marcos and that they are going to have to tighten their purse strings. Like, their finances are in trouble. Aquarius complains that they haven't had lunch, to which Amber replies, you had celery and carrots, remember? God. Yeah. She's just so checked out. So Uh, fucked up. Yeah. He in turn... zero calories. Yeah, exactly. He in turn argues that he's still hungry, and Amber tells him that you're supposed to be hungry. If you feel full, then you have eaten too much. What the fuck? She's awful. Aquarius then asks how much longer it's going to be, and Amber suggests that he's seeing to make work pass by quicker. He sighs, and before he starts reciting rap lyrics, to which he is quickly cut off by Amber, who goes, no, not that. Something silly. Like, I don't want to work no more. Yeah, she basically just suggested to her black foster kid that he should sing an African-American spiritual-style work song, like, from the era of slavery. Yeah, it's a fucking slave song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so fucked up. And then they just die laughing. I'm like, I want to slap you. Yeah. I, I Listen to literally what the next few lines I wrote for this was. And Gail comes over and laughs and kisses her like it was the cutest idea ever. And then you just want to punch these bitches in the face. (laughs) Seriously. I wanted to punch them so hard. Yeah, they're the worst. The absolute worst. Um, Later on at the farmer's market, we see Laquarius standing next to his foster siblings with a free hug sign hanging from his shoulders. And he's wearing a fedora and a scowl. This imagery is directly from the lives of the Hart family. Laquarius's real-life counterpart, Devante Hart, was known for wearing a fedora, often as well as a free hunks sign. Now, Laquarius looks up and flips the sign off and books it for a nearby police officer. He runs right into him, wraps his arms around him, exclaiming, I learned my lesson. I hate my new parents. They can't cook, and they make me sleep in a storage closet. And the cop responds by telling him to, like, slow down and explain himself. And Laquarius explains, My moms, they make me do all the chores, and I didn't eat anything. Please take me home. I'm tired of these white ladies. It's hard to not laugh at that last line, but, like, it's also, like, really fucked. (laughs) These women are totally abusive. Yeah. Just as he's explaining himself, Gail walks over and interrupts, declaring that 
he is their son. And the cop assesses the situation and decides that Laquarius is just tired. Uh, this scene is a, a reenactment of what might have happened behind a famous photo of Devante Hart. And I'll post that photo on our IG. But the photo is referred to as the hug felt around the world. It's basically just this, a little bit of this scene. It's Devante with his fedora hugging a cop with just tears streaming down his face. Famous photo, super sad when you know the real story behind it. He was just trying to, like, fucking save his own life, and it just never worked in his favor, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so back to the episode. It's at least, like, the next day now, because we see a reaction. No, I mean, I'm sorry, we see a recreation of the aforementioned photo in a newspaper that Amber's holding and telling Aquarius how proud she is of him. And he turns around from painting the wall in the kitchen. He's like on a step stool. And he's like, I didn't say any of those things. <laughs> like, they just like made shit up to make it sound like some kumbaya racial thing with the cop. Like, okay. Um, so Amber then says that she knows he's been having a hard time adjusting, but not to worry, because she's gonna love that right out of him. What a creepy fucking thing to say! <sighs> I'm gonna love that right out of you. I hate that. It. I think it's like she's replacing beat with love. Yeah, right? It's, it's awful. It's even if cringy. she, even if she really meant love, it's creepy as fuck. Yeah. So after Gail declares to Aquarius that he's a snitch with that same scary calm that she has. This actress is fantastic, by the way. There's a knock at the door and Gail opens it to find a black social worker coming for a welfare check. Now, upon her visit, she discovers that Fatima, the youngest daughter of Amber and Gail, is coughing on the couch with blueberries that Amber claims are medicine. And the social worker asks her for a washcloth, but as we learned earlier in the episode, they don't use our own washcloths. She then asks Aquarius how he likes living at the house, and he whispers to her that he's really, really hungry and that he just wants to go home. So the social worker assures, to him, assures him, just as the guidance counselor did before, that I'm going to get you out of here. So Gail then asks to speak to the social worker privately and suggests that Amber start dinner. Sometime later, Gail comes back as the family is sitting at the table with raw, sad, with raw chicken and sad vegetables again. Because <laughs> that's apparently all this bitch knows how to cook, which is not even cooking, honestly. <laughs> it's just throwing raw frozen chicken in a microwave. And then putting raw vegetables on a plate. <laughs> I sprinkled capers on it. It's cooking. <laughs> it's natural. Ugh, they're awful. Yeah. Uh, but then, so Gail looks at the family and she's like, everything's fine. That night, Laquarius is tossing and turning, having uh, nightmares about his mom telling him that white people were going to kill him. And he wakes up and wanders to the refrigerator. He opens it and inside he finds the social worker's head in a pickle jar. And then he turns around to see Corn Pop's head on the social worker's body. <laughs> and then he wakes up and it was just a nightmare. A nightmare so within it, a... Hold on. Is it yeah. the social worker's body? I thought it was his grandfather's body because it has the little base, the, the newspaper cap on top. Maybe. I thought it was the social worker's body since, you know, she's missing a head. Yeah, it looks like his grandfather's body because it's wearing the, the cap. The dog is wearing his grandfather's hat. 
He's wearing a suit. I'm not sure about that. I thought it was the social worker's body. I mean, but. I laugh so hard at that part. Sorry. It's 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 pretty funny. It's like a much, it's a much needed comic relief. Yeah, it really. Point. is. the little dog's head. Yeah. The tiniest dog in the world. Yeah. <laughs> On an adult body. Yeah. And so he wakes up, and you know, it's been nightmareception. It was just a nightmare within a nightmare, and uh, he's gasping. And he runs to the bathroom, gripping his stomach. He probably got hungry enough to eat some of that raw chicken, so he's, like, puking from probably salmonella poisoning, if we're being honest. And he discovers Amber in the kitchen with bags packed and stuff, and he declares that they are going... Oh, she declares to him that they are going to the Grand Canyon and that he needs to get ready. And he's like, the Grand Canyon? What? The whole family piles in the minivan, and they are it's on the road. Be fun. That's yeah. what said. Yeah, it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be fun. Yeah, and that, like, drugged, checked out way. It's yeah. gonna be fun. Her eyes are, like, moving around like she's super drugged up. Yeah, she's, yeah, it's, I don't know. She's not okay. <laughs> um. So, yeah, they, they all pile in the minivan, and... We see shots of the kids looking sad in the back seat, and then it's nighttime, and the car pulls over to the side of the road, and the two women get out and walk off, um, like, down this little trail in the woods with the dog, and uh, Aquarius sees them. He's the only one awake. He looks up and, like, sees what's happening. And then it goes back to Gail and Amber in the woods, and they are literally, like, putting corn pop on the ground, like... Go on. You're better without us. Just leave. Oh. Corn Pop's a fighter. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. It'll be better on the on his own. Yeah. Um, so they're, you know, putting their poor, defenseless, tiny dog that will 100% get swooped up by an owl within the, na- within the hour. Yeah, honestly. that dog would totally fucking die. They they feed it in a fucking high chair. Yeah. They feed it beef in a high chair. Yeah, that dog's dead. That dog's dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Corn Pop's not gonna make it, guys. Corn Pop was ravaged by a raccoon. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> a raccoon could easily eat, eat him. Like, yeah. no problem. No problem. <laughs> they would just grab it by t- two hands and just put it in the creek and, like, wash him <laughs> off, but he's dead. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> but but honestly though, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, so then um, Amber's like, "What are we doing?" And Gail just reassures her that this is the their only option. You know, we are they going to be better off in another society or in this society? Like, what happens if it's just no? Like, this is our only option. And then Amber cries, and she says, I remember thinking we were solid when we got that big loan from the bank, but I also remember thinking, why isn't anyone stopping us? Why isn't anyone stopping us? And she's just sobbing, and Gail's just like, get it together. We gotta we gotta go. This is the right that- move. And then they return to the minivan, and Amber says she doesn't think she can go through with it, and Gail tells her not to look back. And she, she has clearly taken something, because she's like barely there as she's driving yeah and um we see the car heading towards the bridge over the lake from the beginning of the episode where the two guys were in the boat and the two women hold hands and start singing along with the radio and gail looks back and discovers corn pop is back in the car under laquarius's fedora and sees laquarius 
roll out of the back door of the moving vehicle with a sleeping bag that like breaks his fall. Just he's like peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, deuces. Like get made sure to stay long enough to get that grin at her. Like I'm out of here. Yeah. And uh, then he like ro- he like rolls out of the car right as it goes off the bridge, and um, he spends all night walking home, and he. Uh, gets the key out from underneath the mat, washes himself a bowl off, and his mother walks in and is just like, so you finally decided to come home, huh? And he nods and asks her if there's any spaghetti in the fridge, and she tells him there is. And then we see Laquarius watching the news, and he sees that his siblings were found abandoned, so he apparently warned them before the woman came back to the van. So kudos, all the kids lived in this version. (laughs) That's fun, if only, right? And then he switches channels, and... He's watching American Dad again. This time, it's season five, episode 16, DeLorean Storian. Stan and Steve are bonding over building a DeLorean. And surprise, boom, it's Donald Glover's face. Well, it's Ern's face. Ern is one of the main characters of the show, which, you know, when the episodes aren't standalone like this one. It turns out this whole episode has been a fucked up nightmare that Ern was having. And he looks around his hotel room and the episode ends. Thoughts, Morgan? It's There's so many points to this show that bring up, like, you know, racism and systemic racism. Like how the cop believes the two white women over the, the boy. Yeah. yeah, and he's, like, begging for help. And, I mean, at every point, they're, like, shot down. They don't even... And, like, they don't have a voice. These white women have taken their voice. And, like, they're... Their voices are the white women's, you know? Like, yeah. those, ki- those kids never talk. And no. it's because the white women talk for them and then try to pull this, I'm a woke, white, hippie, woman, lesbian. And so and it just pisses me off because it's, it's repeating the actual case in a way that's satirical. But it, it's just so maddening. Yeah. But it, it's yeah. a really good point that Atlanta like brought up where it's like the systemic racism. Like in the very beginning, I felt like that white man being able to tell him, no, this is just whiteness. You are what you make it. It's like, no, you're ignoring all the systemic racism in all of this. And I don't think us white people have, you know, a place to speak on behalf of African-Americans. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Not, that is not our place. Yeah, and I think this case, too, was hard for me because I feel like I don't have enough insight into, I mean, one, being black. I'm not black. Um, not African-American. Not, neither of us are. Neither of us are. <laughs> but also, like, I don't know what it's like to be systemically, like, denied freedom and a voice and everything else and like socioeconomically be denied um housing and all that and those are are evident in this episode but very much the case in the actual murders like yes. so it's it's a really good episode i really really liked it it was very well done and it's almost like laughable at some parts but i feel bad and i feel guilty laughing i know i know but, but 
I think that's Donald Glover's thing. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, his brother wrote the whole episode, but... Well, the Glovers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. They can't not put some humor in there since this is literally a sitcom episode, which it's easy to forget when you're watching this episode, which is how it ended up on our show because it is literally a tiny horror movie. It is. It fit the criteria, even though it's a, like, 36-minute episode of comedy. (laughs) Yeah, it's... I I really like this. But I think this episode, I don't know, like with the whole, sorry, I just blanked out. But like that one part where she cannot say this boy's name, Laquarius. So mm-hmm. she embroidered Larry, Larry. Yeah. on there. That's exactly what the actual women in this case did. They changed these kids' names to be spelt differently Yeah, when they adopted them. Yeah. And I, I just think it's kind of messed up. They're it like, is. They're old enough to know how to spell her name. Yeah, well, mo- mo- most of them were. The like the youngest one, I don't think could read or write yet. Like yeah, Abby, but like yeah, I think, but they didn't change Abigail's name. They no, didn't change her name. No, but like if anybody could have had their name changed, it would have been her. Yeah, she was like the youngest because I mean, with uh, Sierra. Sierra may have been a little too young to spell. Yeah, I think so, maybe. But why? But, why would you yeah, change your name? Yeah, that's really dumb. I don't know why anyone would do that. But okay, so before we get to your half and our break, I do have a few pieces of trivia. Are you okay. ready? Yeah. Okay. So, the opening scene refers to the reservoir, Lake Lanier. The former community of Oscarville in Forsyth County, which faced a racist mob attack in September of 1912, is underneath that lake. So that is real. There is a former black governed city that is underneath a lake and that is supposedly haunted. So uh, I'll give you the full story on that, actually. So according to history, what's that? I was going to say, didn't it start with like a lynching or something? Yes. Okay. So according to history, Forsyth County, which only had about 1,110 black residents, was met with violence when 18-year-old white woman May Crow was allegedly raped and killed by Oscarville resident Rob Edwards, who was lynched in the town square. Thousands of white county residents showed up to shoot Edwards's corpse leading to a community invasion where black businesses, churches, and houses were torched. Surviving black residents fled, and the racial cleansing led to man-made Lake Lanier, which flooded the town in the 1950s. This was no punishment for the racial injustice with black teenagers. No, there was no punishment for the racial injustice, with black teenagers Ernest Knox and Oscar Daniel also convicted in front of an all-white jury in two separate trials. The boys were found guilty and hung, to the satisfaction, fucking course. Sorry. Of course, <laughs> of course they were. To the satisfaction of neighboring racist residents. Now that uh, you can like boat and fish and jet ski on the re- on that reservoir, just like the one where we're from. And it, it's it's fucked up because I've been to Lake Lanier. Oh, you've been on the haunted lake. Yeah. With- 
the murdered town underneath it. Oh, good. Yeah, I had heard it was haunted, but I never knew why. I, I just heard it was like a haunted lake and that, that there was a town beneath, but no one ever said, oh, it's a black town that was flooded to make way for a reservoir because their town was getting too populous with black Americans. Yeah, um... It's really fucked up. We I never knew the history behind it until this episode because I knew Lake Lanier was supposedly haunted, but I didn't. I didn't know why. Yeah, that's uh, that's why. It's a really fucked up story. Yeah, yeah. All right, I've, I've, got... I've been on that. <laughs> yeah, I've got a just like a couple more things. I'm actually kind of staying outside of Lake Lanier on like Monday or Tuesday next week. Really? Yeah. My niece is coming to visit, so yeah, that's, that's cool. That's halfway between Mississippi and where I am in Virginia. Nice. <laughs> so staying on the haunted lake. Maybe I should take her to the lake and tell her history. Maybe so. Yeah. She's old enough to hear stuff like that, right? Yeah, I think anybody's old enough to hear it. Well, I think like a five-year-old will probably not get the full weight of that message. Ah, uh, yeah, true, true. Like they might understand the words, but probably won't really get the weight of that okay so the other thing i was gonna say is that that scene where they pull over right before they were going to kill all the kids and themselves that's a goodfellas reference it's like exactly like the opening scene where they pull the car over and kill the guy in the trunk (laughs) at the beginning of goodfellas it's like the little red light and it's 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 like almost the same scene oh what okay Say that so, again. Okay. <laughs> okay. So they do a small homage to Goodfellas in this episode. When they pull, when the two women pull over their car, their minivan or whatever, and yeah. there's the, the lights in the back are blinking red and they get out and walk around. That's very similar to the opening scene of Goodfellas where they pull their car over and have the blinking back lights. And then they go to the back and they, they shank this guy <laughs> That's in the trunk. He's been making a lot of noise. And then it goes oh. in. Oh. Yeah. And then it goes into the the rest of the episode, the rest of the uh, movie of Goodfellas, where he's like, I always wanted to be a gangster. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a nod to Goodfellas right there. I did not even realize that. Well, there you go. Those are, those are literally the only two facts that I have, because I weaved every other related fact into the episode. So, yeah. That's all I got. Nice. I love yeah. Goodfellas. I've seen that movie, like, I don't know. I think I've seen that movie more, no. I've seen Kung Pao more than any movie in the history of movies I've watched. Enter the Fist? Yeah. And The <laughs> Thing. And John, Carpenter, John Carpenter's The Thing. I've seen that movie way too much. Oh, Morgan. That's my I, favorite movie. What? Kung Pao and The Thing? Yeah. Favorite Morgan, movie. Morgan. Morgan. What? I wish that you weren't so busy when I recorded with with BP. I was a guest on his show, and we literally talk about the thing. Fuck you! <laughs> Shit! That I was love the... the thing. I'm sorry, dude. You were in the middle of your uh... mental breakdown. <laughs> yeah, you were in no condition to do that with me. I promise. <laughs> I'd be like, and the dogs die. <laughs> All of them die. <laughs> They just let that one roam around, and it was definitely the alien. It's definitely. They should have seen it. (laughs) 
like, here you go, doggy, back. And it's like guts are moving around. His face is all deformed. <laughs> all right, guys, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back. Woo! Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And we're back. <laughs> Hello. Morgan. Uh, would you like to tell us the tragic story of the Hart family? <sighs> I guess. <laughs> I guess I will. <laughs> it's the least you can do. And uh, listeners, I just want to apologize if my kitty cat, Mr. Man, wants to make an appearance. You may hear him meow in the background. He might do it, guys. But He may. Don't. Don't be too upset about it. Yeah, I had to let him in because he was being too loud at the door. So now he's in with me. Yeah, he was being a little obnoxious, a little extra. <laughs> it was very extra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he even got his paws under the door. He was about to start shaking it. He tries to open doors. Lucy does that, too. And, like, I cannot go to the bathroom without her paws going fully under and wrapping around the bottom of the door and her just letting out the most horrific sounds so she just has to go to the bathroom with me (laughs) yeah mr man has to go to the bathroom with me because he wants me to turn the sink on while i use the bathroom so he can get his fresh water yeah lucy likes that too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so ridiculous yeah they are pampered cats yeah he's a spoiled boy (laughs) jonesy could care less about the running water he's not a fan well Let's get into this really depressing story. Breathe in. Breathe out. All right. The Hart family. Okay. So the Hart family murders. I think most of everybody will remember this if they watched the news back in 2018. It started out like... Like, the police thought at first that it was an accident, but after a couple days, they realized that was not the case. Yeah, so the first reports came out saying it was an accident and that um, Sarah Hart and Jennifer Hart, the two mothers of six adopted children, had accidentally plunged off of a cliff in Mendocino County, California. 
but that was not the case. It has now been ruled as a murder-suicide, and only one child was never found, and that was Devante, who was 15. That's the one boy that the episode was playing the one with, off of. Yeah, the one with the fedora. The fedora and the free dog sign. He's the Devante one... is Laquarius. Yeah, Laquarius is Devante, and Devante is Laquarius. Yeah. <clears throat> so the murders took place on March 26, 2018. Most of the bodies have been found only... Abigail's no yeah they never found Devante's body uh but he was ruled dead a few months after the crash I think it took like a year or something for them to actually say he was dead yeah he was declared dead in 2019 and Hannah's body was never found but a foot still in the shoe washed up um a few weeks later after the crash and it took months to ID after contacting the uh her biological mother to get a DNA match. So we'll get to the perpetrators, who was Jennifer Jean Hart. She was born June 4th, 1979. And there was Sarah Margaret Hart, uh, who was born April 8th, 1979. They were both 38, I believe, when they died. And they both were from South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And they both attended North State University, and that's where they met. And started a relationship they both majored in elementary education and sarah um was the only one to graduate with an education degree and it was focused on special education jennifer left and did not graduate around 2005 sarah had her name legally changed because same-sex marriage wasn't legal yet And then in 2009, they went to Connecticut and were married. That was one of the states that allowed same-sex marriage. So from like reports from friends, they kind of ostracized themselves, it seems. They did say that people in their lives weren't okay with them being openly gay, which is, I mean, it's probably accurate in the Midwest in the mid-2000s. Yeah, in South, yeah, in fucking South Dakota, yeah. But a lot of the family has said, like, they always were um, open and um, okay with their sexual orientation. It was that the family didn't like their parenting skills. And that's like, they got critical of their parenting. And so they ended up like not, that's what some of the reports say. I don't know how true that is. Maybe it's like them trying to, the family trying to make themselves look better. I don't know, but they say otherwise. They say that they literally just estranged themselves um, from the family because of their sexual orientation. So around 2004, the couple were foster parents to a 15-year-old girl. There has been like several news articles with her being interviewed, but she wanted to remain anonymous. Some people have outed her, and I'm not going to say her name on our podcast because she wants to remain anonymous, clearly. And that's that's her right. Yeah, that's her right. So I'm not going to name her. But with this girl, she she was 15 years old. Um, she lived with them for around two and a half years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Some of the dates of the reports are different, but she said she didn't have, like some reports said that people heard she was eating out of trash, but she denies this. Yeah. She said, I was always given food. I was, you know, always given attention, even though 
like they didn't agree with some of the things I did. She was a huge tomboy. And she said one of the things that stuck out to her that they forced her to get a makeover um, at a makeup counter and she really did not want to do it. And there has been some interviews from people that were witnesses to that and said she was like super uncomfortable. She was hunched over. She didn't talk. She didn't want to look at anybody. She said she was never abused. Um, She was disciplined and she she like wanted to see friends but they wouldn't let her see her friends i'm of the the mindset that they didn't go completely downhill until they had had six kids for several years yeah i think that like calls that spiral i think it did like they weren't ready to have that many kids like no one is nobody is and like that episode says in atlanta like why didn't anyone stop us like there's a couple of things that sarah had said to co-workers like i wish i would have known that we didn't have to have a big family yeah yeah and i mean sarah and jen were both from bigger families they weren't from like massive families one was from a family of four and one was from a family of three uh jen jen um jennifer but she went by jen uh she had two siblings and sarah had three so i mean it's not out of the ordinary have a bigger family but the way they did it was totally irresponsible yeah um and this case is just so sad because there's so many things that just fell through uh the system like they should have never been allowed to do that at all but yeah they were nomads yeah they moved a lot and we'll get into why they probably moved a lot. Yeah, so back to this 15-year-old girl. Um, They had her for about two and a half years. And one of their close friends said that Jen just opened up and said, like, oh, my God, she's so annoying. I really can't stand her. Like, she doesn't do what we ask her to do. And, and I mean, a lot of this information is coming from um, the podcast. Uh, Broken Hearts. Yeah, Broken Hearts podcast by Glamour. Um, In conjunction with How Stuff Works. Yes. And it's such a good podcast. So a lot of this information is from the Broken Hearts series. Uh, You can find them on Spotify, Apple, Spotify. Yeah, it's like everything. But they they really did a deep dive and interviewed a lot of people. There are a couple of documentaries that I watched, but... (sighs) God, the one I told you about that yeah. I'm not even using that as a reference because it's such bullshit. It's just interviewing their Facebook friends. Like it's not a documentary. That's not a documentary. At yeah, all. it's just people wanting to desperately cling to something that they were marginally related to. Yeah, like it's no family. There's nothing at all. Like the the women that did um, the broken hearts, they actually went to the family. They went to judges. They went through police files they did they really deep dived into this so a lot of the information is from their podcast i just wanted to shout them out because they did an amazing job um absolutely they're a big help yeah and so with this 15 year old girl she you know like jen had said she's annoying she didn't like the way she did things she wouldn't listen to her and she was just being moody and like 
of course, a 15-year-old girl who's being in a foster home probably has had a lot of, you know, abuse. Like, anybody in the foster system, there's, like, a way higher level of abuse, mental illness. And come like, on, she was a teenager. Like, teenagers yeah. are difficult even with the best home life. Yeah. So, so they ended up telling her, hey, we're about to adopt three kids uh, from Texas, so you're going to be a big sister. Big sister. And, and she was so excited about being a big sister and being a role model. And she really just was looking up to that. But a week before the three children arrived in the family, the hearts dropped her off at the school to meet with her her like therapist. Counselor, therapist, yeah. Yeah, she had like a therapist. She'd go to a weekly session. Um, yeah. So they ended up dropping her off of the therapist. And the therapist didn't really tell her much at first until the end of their session and said, oh, by the way, um, the hearts are not coming back. And we have already found another family for you. And by the time she got there, all of her belongings had already been at this house. Yeah, they uh, wanted their money back. Yeah, they literally just dropped her off and never spoke to her again. They didn't say anything like, that is hey. ice cold. <laughs> I, that, that's fucking heartless. Like, this girl's yeah. already been tossed around from home to home. And then to just be abandoned by these two women who she thought she was, you know, going to live with and have brothers they and sisters. They treated her like a cat that wouldn't stop scratching the couch. Yeah, it was like their trial run or something, and they just didn't like their trial run. So they just Start went ahead. And, yeah, it really was. And then they just went and adopted three siblings from Texas. So these kids came to live with them on March 4th, 2006. And they were later adopted later that year, which is pretty quick considering how long the adoption process happens. Usually it's like anywhere from like nine months to three years, I yeah. believe is the statistic now. They got them in like six months, which is super quick. Yeah. And then they adopted three more kids in June 2008. So a little over two years later, they had six kids, six kids. And only one of them worked. And according to some documents, that accounted the, the kids because they were they were getting money from the state of Texas through mm -hmm. this adoption agency. And that accounted for over 50% of their income. Oh, yeah. So... Because Amber's job like was at a department store at first and then in I think it was Oregon she was working at Kohl's which is also like a department store you mean Jen you said Amber that's the fake mom oh my god not Jen <laughs> my god my brain Sarah um Sarah yeah Sarah was yeah. the one that worked at Lowe's not Lowe's yeah um, shit. it's some department store in the south her burgers her burgers she worked at her burgers and then she worked at Kohl's um, Polls. That's why I said, yeah. Yeah, so Sarah and Jen both worked until 2006. That's when Jen became a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Um, Sarah, the one with the degree, she became a uh, manager, assistant manager at a Kohl's afterwards. Yeah. Um, and that was when they were living in Washington. When they lived in Minnesota, that's when um, Sarah was a manager at Herberger's. Because uh, they, they moved around a lot so they adopted all these children and it's just so messed up that they got the second
second pair of kids. So trio of kids. Yeah, the like the the second group of children, um, which was Sierra, Devante, and Jeremiah. Yeah. They came from Houston. It it took less than a year to adopt these kids out of state through a program out of Minnesota. And later diving into all the paperwork and stuff, the hosts of Broken Hearts, they discovered that they had tons of violations. They had poor background checks. They had been written up by the state like several times. And the three kids, uh, Sierra, Devante, and Jeremiah, their last name was Davis, they actually were taken away from their mother in 2006, I believe. No, 2005. The Sierra, the youngest, she tested positive for um, crack cocaine. And according to some court documents, their mother, biological mother, Miss Davis, she had lost custody in August 2006 after, um, again, testing positive for many substance abuse issues. And they were then given to the state, but Priscilla, Priscilla Celestine, that was the Davis's children's biological aunt. She ended up fighting for custody and hiring an attorney so she could gain custody of the four kids. The one that the Hearts didn't adopt was Dante. He was an older kid and they said they didn't want to adopt him due to behavioral problems he was i think in and out of like rehabilitation centers and they were like we'll just adopt the youngest three so miss Celeste, hold on i don't want to get her name wrong miss celestine which was their aunt priscilla uh she ended up winning custody of the four kids she got them into their care she even like went to another home so they'd have their own rooms she really did a lot and she was never in trouble with the law and she like really wanted these children like she loved them with all of her heart and still does like she she speaks out her and the attorney and the davis's like the the parents the biological parents they speak out about this a lot but unfortunately the media kind of silences them as always so she ended up gaining custody of them but unfortunately she lost custody without any type of like hey we're gonna hold them for a little while and then give them back they completely took them away from the entire family and immediately put them in the foster care to put up for adoption usually it takes a lot longer than that but texas has like a no some kind of policy where if there's any issues they automatically get taken which is fucked up because usually you only get one chance yeah, it's it's fucked up because usually you get, you know, like a, a period where you can rehabilitate or something because the foster system does not want to take kids away from their family, especially family members that want them that like don't do drugs or ha- like have a good house for them. Like they have the perfect place for them. Um, but they immediately took them away at, after only five months because uh, Priscilla had to go to work and she, it was like uh not scheduled it was an emergency situation yeah it was a emergency shift that she had to work she couldn't get anyone to babysit the kids so celestine 
allowed the biological mom to babysit the kids while she was at work. But and she and she says that the mom was clean at the time. Yeah, and the mom was clean at the time, but there was a surprise visit by um, the Department of Family Services, and they saw her with the kids. So they immediately took them away, removed them from her care, and then prevented her from obtaining permanent custody or being able to adopt them. So they were immediately put into foster care and then they were put up for adoption. And less than a year later, the judge let the hearts adopt them. And this is even with past abuse charges Mm -hmm. on the side of the hearts. But according to the podcast I'll be referencing, the judge said since no criminal charges were filed against the hearts during this, they couldn't cite a case where they weren't able to adopt. And I'm like, that's bullshit because there were no criminal charges against their aunt who really wanted them. Mm -hmm. Why would they take them away from their aunt? Their auntie like really wanted these kids and she was... She she had her head on her shoulders. She had a place for them to live. Why separate them from their family? It's just fucked up. It's not like yeah. they were complete orphans, like wards of. They were not wards of the state, but they decided that they'd be wards of the state. Um, all because mom babysat one time. Yeah, and it's a lot to do with they're black and mm-hmm. the hearts are white, and they have three other kids that they have adopted. Oh, why not? I think that should have been a red flag there. They literally just adopted three other children. Like, maybe, maybe not them. Like, how about you get good at parenting these three, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, like, they already have charges pending against them, but there's no criminal charges. So, so anyway, they... They took them and the kids weren't allowed to say goodbye to their parents and they weren't allowed to say goodbye to their aunt at all. Actually, like that was the last time the aunt had ever talked to them was the day they were placed in foster care. And I know I can't imagine the grief that they went through when they found out that they were all dead. Like, because they tried hard. Priscilla really like tried hard to get them back, but the they wouldn't even like allow the cases to be heard. They were like, "No, you you lost your chance, so you lose all custody forever." Um. So around 2008, Hannah she was in kindergarten. One of the teachers that was teaching her noticed she had bruises on her arm. And when she asked Hannah how she got all these bruises on her arm, she said she had been hit with a belt. And it was Jen who was doing the abuse. And this was investigated, but they just said that she had fell down the stairs um, and that it like kids get bruises. And so they pulled them out of the school system all six of the kids and they kept them out of the public school system for about a year uh separating from all their friends uh teachers and neighbors and Can they I just pretty say, much what falling down the stairs is almost as bad of an excuse as walking into a door yeah like uh-huh sure yeah and it's just it's just really fucking weird because every time they were investigating they were like 
oh, well, they're crack babies. And that was their excuse. And they got away with it. I know. And it's, again, it's the systemic racism. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're hippie white chicks. They wouldn't do this. They're they're cushy. And I was like, no, they fucking abuse their kids. And so they're then, out of their element, Donnie. Yeah, they're out of their element. And then um, in 2010, uh, more abuse came from Abigail this time. She told people at the school that she had owies on her back and stomach. And whenever the school nurse observed, there were bruises from the mid upper back all the way to the buttocks. And then from all of her torso was covered in bruises. And she said that the hearts had beaten her and withheld food. And she said that they had all been spanked. And when the police came to investigate, all the kids claimed that they had been spanked and that their punishment was to be was to have food withheld from them. And this actually did contribute to charges, even though that they literally claimed that they were all crack babies. They didn't get away with it. They did get charged for this. Even though that the kids said Jen did all this, Sarah took responsibility and pled guilty to assault. After that, Hannah, the, the well, girl that... Well, they even get into it that that the reason that she probably took the rap for Jen is because Jen was the one getting the checks from Texas. Yeah, so they were actually... One of them, I think, was getting checks... Because they were a two-income household. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe one was getting checks and the other was getting assistance from the state of Texas. Yeah. That's my understanding of it. They were both getting money from the states to house and provide for these children. They also got a big bank loan for them, too. But yes, I think Sarah also took responsibility because Jen was so, like, I guess, overwhelming. Um, Like, Sarah was kind of the I'll just do whatever you say type of person. Like, Jen was overbearing. Sarah was very much a follower. Yeah, and and all the kids were, like, really scared of Jen. Like, whenever they start going to the neighbors' houses and stuff, like, they all say it's Jen, it's not Sarah. Yeah. And Jen stayed home all day, so, like, she just couldn't handle six kids by herself while Sarah worked. But Sarah did claim that it was her, and she got a charge for that. Then in 2000... Oh, so back to the sadness... So around 2012, 2013, the family um, moved to Oregon. I think I'm getting the dates right. Because when they move is really all over the place to me. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because some are like, they were there in 2012 and some were there in 2010, but she already got charged in 2010. I don't know. Um, so in 2013, some people in Minnesota contacted Oregon authorities and said that they were concerned about the family and that they knew that there were some abuse allegations that were still ongoing in Minnesota, but they had fled the state. So, I mean, Oregon authorities were aware, but there wasn't any kind of concern for the kids because they said it was an isolated incident. There were no concerns at this time. But however, around this time, like 2014 was when they went viral. So, 
around 2013, they had moved to Westland, Oregon. It's a suburb outside of Portland. They rented a house, and that's when Sarah worked and Jen stayed at home. But this is when the community noticed that something wasn't right. They said that they were being racially profiled, and they were using, like, the race card when Department of Human Services got involved. Because some people were saying, yeah, these kids, quote, the kids pose and are made to look like one big happy family. But after the photo event, they go back to looking lifeless. Um, And according to some of the Facebook posts at this time, Jen really goes on like a a race, race tyrant saying that they're being unjustly like targeted, uh, saying all these accounts and grocery stores where they were approached by an older man who looked at Devante and said, oh, you're going to be a nice baseball player. And she said, like, yeah, super racist. But in reality, they were kind of like closing themselves off from the community around them because the community were, you know, like their neighbors and stuff were aware that these six kids were out in the garden like all day doing work and they were skinny and they were telling their classmates that they weren't eating um hannah was actually caught like stealing food from classmates and but oregon says that they didn't find any evidence of abuse in august 2013 um so they went to the house and interviewed the kids and their moms separately but they said well some of the children showed little or no emotion um but there were no signs and i mean they denied it but of course because they're fucking scared yeah (laughs) like if all these things are coming up like it's bullshit that they weren't like okay their their mom who had a history of drug abuse who was clean at the time was in the same room as them and they get taken away from their family but then when numerous people including teachers and counselors come to authorities and say hey they're being abused they're like oh well we can't find any concrete evidence of abuse so we can't take them out of the home and that case was closed they never followed up or anything and then around December 2014 is when the photograph of Devante went viral this was at a Black Lives Matter protest uh, in Portland and like after Ferguson happened yeah it was right after Ferguson happened it's Devante is hugging an officer and tears are streaming down his face so he's a black child holding a sign crying holding a white officer and they call it the hug felt around the world this is if you google that it'll pop up immediately is the picture of two of them hugging and i mean looking back on it like a lot of people say maybe he was reaching out for help to the police due to the abuse but i think it's it's staged like they pushed him into that situation and i mean if you look at the other photos he's at the front of the protest line like that is terrifying especially knowing what happened during the ferguson riots and like protests and the shooting that happened on black americans like a child that's terrifying they literally just set him up so they could take photos oh yeah and it's just fucking sickening and like on one of the posts 
by Jen, um, people said, well, this is stage. And her response was, quote, sorry, I didn't mean to kick that. Uh, quote, my son has a heart of gold, compassion beyond anything I've ever experienced, yet struggles with living fearlessly when it comes to the police and people that don't understand the complexity of racism that is prevalent in our society. It was one of the most emotionally charged experiences I've had as a mother. And I think it's pretty pretty ridiculous to use your child as a prop in your narrative of a race issue that you have no clue about. No, they're just exploiting those kids to look good. Yeah, and it, it just pisses me off that they got away with this and there's so many abuse and neglect concerns and no one did anything. And that, and overnight, Devonte and the family were highlighted like, hey, we want you all on this news channel. We want you on this. We want all this on. But Jen like shut it down. She said she was uh, wanting to respect the kids' privacy. But meanwhile, she's literally exploiting them on every daily aspect, like from brushing their teeth to, you know, using the bathroom. Like their first initial posts, she talked about how they rub feces on the wall and how they bang their heads on concrete and all this ridiculous shit. You wouldn't put that out there for your children. Yeah, especially. Like- how embarrassed would they be if they found out? Yeah. And I mean, at this point, like, she had posted this stuff. I think it was, it was like five years after she adopted them. They're all old enough to read that. They're all old enough. And like, it's... They probably weren't allowed to have Facebook, so. Yeah, but like, maybe if they, like, they would find out about it eventually. Because well, their maybe. entire lives were portrayed on Facebook for years. Well, true, but they didn't have any friends. Who would have told them? Yeah, I know, but like when they get older, sure, you know, it's still gonna be there. It's still sure. there now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like, but um, I don't know. Who knows? Um, it's, how it's far like when, in advance Jen It always plans. creeps. Yeah, no, it just creeps me out when people like take a picture of their kid on the toilet and be like, they went poop for the first time. No one wants to fucking see that. No one. No. Um, the creepiest thing that's ever that I've ever seen that has to do with kids. Um, in a Facebook group that I'm in, someone posted like studio level portraits. They're potty training. No, they're dead infant. <gasps> it was oh. very morbid, and like a lot of people were like, um, "Could I have a warning before I see that?" Like, I'm yeah, just there's... scrolling, and suddenly there's a de- a blue dead child with a bow on its head while I'm drinking my morning coffee. No, Thanks thank for you. that. No, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. Yeah, so I think the reason why she didn't want them to go on to the TV shows as guests, because, I mean, around this point, 2013, 2012 to, like, 2015, they were all around all these transformational festivals. They were always at the front. If you look back at all these festivals, too, their pictures are up there. Like, they were the faces, the perfect family. They were, like, the, as they call it, the heart tribe. Yeah. They're on every single, like, aspect of, like, different artists, like, radar. Because they, they wanted that. Like, Jen wanted that. She was a social media master, and she was 
would get them to these places at 4.30 in the morning and parade them around with these, like, signs like, free love or free hugs or, like, make the world a better place. And, like, I can't imagine the stress it put on these children. Like, to be paraded around at these festivals, to be a fun-loving family, but in the background are being, like, horribly abused. And they were... Well, yeah, her, their mom, Jen, is parading them around like circus animals. Yeah, and they were even in the background of Bernie Sanders' speech where that sparrow lands on them. I know, yeah. They're right behind him. Because yeah. they got there at 4.30 in the morning so they could be placed behind there. Mm-hmm. That, that was choreographed she said oh it's like by fate we were put back there no the fuck it wasn't bitch you were there at 4 30 in the morning and that wasn't your first rally you knew what to do yeah she knew what to do because that's what you do if you want to get in the background at rallies you show up super fucking early and you show up with signs you show up with all these things and like for her to say no for them to be put on national television i think is because the abuse was getting worse and that's when all of the abuse allegations started coming out people would recognize her and also she didn't need new people to see anything else yeah because every single time that there was an an investigation they would skip town they lived in three states in like four years or something yeah like minnesota uh oregon Oregon, Washington. washington Yeah. yeah. And so around 2017, they relocated to Woodland, Washington. Um, and that's when they lived next to the DeCobbs. And the DeCobbs actually reached out to the police in different ways. And the DeCobb or uh, the wife, uh, Dana, her dad actually called the police before they actually did because he couldn't stand what was going on. Because um, they, they were saying like Bruce and DeCobb. I mean, Bruce and Dana Nicole didn't want to get involved, but they, like, let him know what happened, and he ended up calling the cops. Um, This is because it stems from, in August 2017, around, like, one in the morning, Hannah jumped out of their two-storied window and ran to the front door, banged on the front door, asked for help, and said that she was wanting to hide. Hey. And she said, huh? Sorry, there's something that's like banging a lot. I don't hear anything. I'm not moving. Okay. Nothing's happening in it now, but while you were talking, it sounded like the mic was shaking, maybe? Oh, maybe it's me talking too much? Getting really into it? Oh, maybe. I could just hear something that sounded like rustling. Oh, I don't know. I'm not moving okay it's fine continue i'm sorry uh i don't remember where i was just I'll, I'll start back okay um so bruce and dana to like didn't want to get involved um but they let the father-in-law in on an episode that happened with hannah who showed up at the middle in the middle of the morning at 1 30 on August 2017. Um, So Hannah had jumped out of her two-storied window and ran to the next-door neighbors, beating on their door, and says, please don't make me go back. They're racist, and they abuse us. And she was saying that they had withheld food and that she really just didn't want to go back, and all of them were being abused. Um, Soon after this, Jen, along with all the children, including Sarah, came around with flash lights and according to Dana in an interview she said that Jen just pushed them back 
and came right in the door and yelling Hannah's name. And like, they didn't stop her because they didn't know what really was going on. Like they, they just knew this young girl was in her house and she actually hid between um, the bed and the bedside table in a corner, like in fetal position. And when Jen came upstairs, she said, everything's okay. Like, we're going to talk about this. And then she brought her back down the stairs and Hannah apologized. And then the next morning, um, the Hart family uh, went over there and Jen told the DeCobbs that they were drug babies and Mm. that they were acting out because she had fallen and she said that they were abusing her. And she said, well, she's just acting out. She wants attention because she's a drug baby. So Dana ended up telling her dad about what happened and her dad called the police um, I believe like a month after this happened. This is August 2017. I think he called in like around November maybe uh, and said he couldn't live with himself if he didn't say anything. Yeah. But then but then several months later, um in March, it was the night of March 15, 2018, Devante actually came over on the afternoon. And asked Bruce, the man in the house, uh, Bruce DeCobb, who was the neighbor, um, for some tortillas. And he was like, okay, that's a strange request. But yeah, you can have tortillas. So he gave him tortillas and he didn't really say anything else and left. Um, And this was the same day of their ninth anniversary of their adoption. Because Jen was busy on Facebook. Sarah was at work. And so he could have snuck out. And the DeCobbs noticed that the kids never went outside after Hannah jumped out the window. Like they were outside occasionally doing yard work. And she said after that, they never saw any of them, only Devante after that. And she said Devante would be doing all of the yard work, like carrying soil from the front to the back, like pick, like feeding the chickens and doing all the yard work and never saw Jen and never saw any of the kids who were being homeschooled at this point. So then the next day, March 16th, Devante came by and asked for bread in the morning. And they were like, okay, well, we gave you a lot of tortillas. This is kind of weird. But they described him as anxious. And they said he looked scared and that they could make out his shoulder bones, like shoulder shoulder bones. Not blades. They said it was like his shoulders were um, pointy and they they could see his arm bones through his sweatshirt. Um, Right. Like his arms were like the size of her wrist or something. Yeah. And and then later that night on the 16th, uh, they said it must have been after Jen and Sarah were both asleep. He came back again for food. And then Dana said at this point, she was like, something's not right if he's coming back when they're asleep. And when they're and he said, do not tell them I'm over here please don't tell them i'm so sorry like like i'm i just don't want them to be taken away because Devante was scared that all the siblings would be split up um he told dana that he was being abused and dana started writing stuff down that he said so dana started asking for more information because she had also called the police at the beginning of 2018 but they said it was an isolated incident and that there was no need for an investigation is what um washington cps determined that there were there were no there was no evidence of abuse 
they didn't feel like doing the the paperwork. Yeah, they pretty much closed the case before they even fucking investigated it. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is when Dana said, okay, well, I'm going to get some more information since you don't have enough to go on doing a welfare check after a 14-year-old girl jumps out of her window at 1.30 in the morning. Okay. Right. Um, So um, she starts writing down all this information. And then on March 20th, she got two more visits from Devante asking for food. Um, and that's when she asked Devante, well, like, are you and your siblings always home? And he said, yeah. And Jen plays games all day and she doesn't really notice when I'm gone. Cause Jen was obsessed with gaming and she was always uh, also obsessed with posting on Facebook, which would take hours out of her day. Like she didn't even fucking care for these kids. She yeah, not played only video was, games. Yeah. Not only was, was she obsessed with gaming, but she was like a guild master for some MMO. Yeah, and uh, the people who played her spoke out and said she was a master narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you can get that over a, a internet game, then you must be really fucking terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Devante told her that when Jen would get mad at them, she would hold uh, withhold food for days as punishment. Um, and he said, please don't tell the cops and don't tell uh, Jen or Sarah that I was over here, but we are being abused. Um, and around, it was March 23rd, so three days after his last visit, um, she finally called CPS with all this evidence. Um, and that was Friday, March 23rd. Um, CP, a CPS worker actually came over to the house. She knocked on the door but could not get an answer. And then she left. And she didn't come back until that Monday. So um, according to Dana, she noticed that that night the van disappeared and the rock wall was knocked down. So it looked like they had backed out in a hurry, hit a brick wall, knocked it over, and just drove away. Um, Dana also noted that their chickens were still out and the cats and I think the dogs were all left at the home. Um, Yeah, like all the animals that they had were just abandoned. Yeah, and I know in some of Sarah's Google searches when they went back, they looked up no-kill shelter in the area like who will take dogs but I, I don't think they dropped them off I think they left them at the house but it just really pisses me off because the CPS only did one knock and left even when there was like great concern for their lives um, yeah. so it was around March 24th which is the morning of Saturday it was around 3 a.m. Uh, Sarah messaged a co-worker over text that she couldn't come in because she was sick And then Sunday the 25th, Jen was spotted at Fort Bragg. She was alone at a Safeway buying some bananas and some other food, uh, like crackers and stuff. Then on Monday the 26th, is when the CPS worker returned to the house, couldn't get in contact. She dialed the police and asked for a welfare check. And also the co-worker that received the message ended up calling police that afternoon because Sarah wasn't answering her phone and her emergency contact was also not answering the phone. And the co-worker thought it was really strange because... Sarah would usually keep them updated and she was a really good worker. She always was 
on time. She never asked off. Like, she was really into her job. Like, she said even with everything going on in the family, she never really spoke about it. She would just be like, I'm ready to work, you know? Like, work is work. And she just kept her family life completely separate. Fair enough. And so the coworker was concerned, and she got in touch with, like, one of the head people at Kohl's and was like, we need to do something. And then they gave her permission to dial 911. I think if you have a bad feeling, just dial it. <laughs> What's it going to yeah. do? Yeah. Like, don't ask your fucking boss. And unfortunately, it was too late when either of them called because that Monday, uh, the 26th, a German tourist called 911 after spotting a Yukon on its top on the on its roof uh down on the rocks below and um that's where marcus abigail and jeremiah were found near body i mean nearby and they were deceased uh sierra's body washed up two weeks later and like i said earlier hannah's foot washed up in her shoe which took months to identify and they determined that jen was driving mm-hmm. the car and she had a 0.12 I think alcohol level which is above the legal limit of alcohol and they also went back into the Yukon's uh, system and noticed that she had stopped 70 feet from from the cliff, pulled off the side of the road, and then gunned it up to 90 miles per hour and then plunged 100 feet down that cliff. And there were no skid marks, and they determined that it was a murder-suicide. Devante's body has never been found, but they did declare him dead afterwards. They said Sarah was in the back, and Sarah, along with three of the kids... Uh, had high levels of diphenhydramine or also Benadryl in their system when they were, um, when they died. They were drugged. Yeah, and, and Sarah on her phone had a lot of searches that said like um, lethal Benadryl doses, what's it like to die by drowning, no kill shelters for dogs. And, and that was before the crash. So they believe Jen and Sarah both decided to do the murder-suicide together. Yeah, they planned, but I don't think Sarah wanted to be awake for it. Yeah, I think Sarah wanted to be dreamy in dreamland. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no telling. Like They all died by drowning, so... Mm, that's a really awful way to go. Yeah, but I mean, hopefully they weren't awake. Hopefully that impact, because 100 feet going at 90 miles per hour, what is that? I can't remember the math of it. Yeah, I, I, I would hope that they were all knocked unconscious. Yeah, because they accelerated 20 miles per hour in three seconds, and they she pushed the throttle down 100% and reached a speed of 90 miles per hour before hitting 100 feet below. Yeah, they were... They probably weren't conscious. I really hope they weren't. I really hope so, too. But I know that a lot of this... Like, there's so much fucking racism in this thing. Like, if... Seriously, if they were black, those kids would have been taken away. You mean if they weren't black? No, if they were black, those kids would have been taken away from those two women. Oh, if the women were black. Um, yeah. I get what Right. Yes. Agree with you. Yes. Yeah, because they were taken away from their families in the beginning just because they're poor and black. And I mean, the family's very, very 
outspoken against this, including the attorney for their the biological aunt. Um, she's spoken out and said it's ridiculous that they took away those kids on that first episode of being caught with their mom Mm -hmm. like they said that's like practically unheard of and i mean when texas was doing this program too or minnesota was doing this program you could uh, adopt a child within like six to ten months or something which is way below the national average and then when they looked into it they had so many violations yeah they didn't do background checks on half the people like there was a whole bunch of fucked up stuff that was involved in this and the minnesota had partnered up with like california florida uh, what was it? It was Minnesota, California, Florida, Washington, Texas, and like two other states, I think, that these kids were just placed on hold in the foster system, but were available for adoption immediately. So messed up. Yeah, and it's just a sad thing. All all six kids died, and Jennifer and Sarah also died. And I mean, there's been a lot of discussion over, you know, the adoption agencies that were involved in this too and like department of social and health services in washington minnesota and oregon and in texas like texas gave them a ton of money to adopt these kids Mm -hmm. and i mean it's just really sad that their lives were cut short when i mean all the people that met them said they were just like these beautiful brilliant kids but that were just failed on so many levels yeah and and it's just sad because some of them said they were trained robots and then others said they were like scared to death of gin, but they still had this like huge heart. Like, yeah. And they, I don't know. It's just sad. It is sad. So they, tell the audience something happy, Morgan, before we leave. Uh, so <laughs> all of the animals lived. <laughs> oh, that is happy. That's a silver lining. And I got a, here's another happy thing. I got a Mr. Man in my lap. He's sitting like a baby. Oh, with that, with that big floy, that big fluffy void tummy. Yeah, it's so floofy and gray and curly. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Mr. Man. Oh, he beat RC in the face today when I was in the bathroom. Mr. Man. He didn't use his claws, but he punched him like 10 times in a row. I'm like, we do not do this in this household. And I mean, I, I scolded him. You did name him Darth Sidious. <laughs> Darth Sidious Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> AKA Mr. Man. Mr. Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so kitty cuteness. So you didn't have to think about the terrible tragedies that we just told you about. Dead babies. <sighs> Sorry. Oh. Sorry. Well, they were they were all teenagers at that point, I think. But but yeah. They're still the babies. Still babies. It was twelve to nineteen. Yeah. So they were almost all teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. That's just tragic. Well, um, we're, our next episode, we're going to be talking about Robert Hansen. Woo! The Butcher Baker. Always wonder, like, was he really a good baker? By all accounts, yes. He was? He was very competent at his job. He just happened to also be a sick fuck when he wasn't baking. Yeah, he was a really big sick fuck. Mm-hmm. Bye, guys. Bye.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.